Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Inside Football, Gareth Southgate with Guillaume Balaguer on Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Inside Football with me, Guillaume Balaguer. I've come to the University of English Football, St. George's Park, and the office of the England team manager, Gareth Southgate. We are here to discuss, of course, England, the hopes of a nation before a World Cup. Harry Kane has sent England to the 2018 World Cup. The captain delivers and Southgate's men are heading off to Russia. But more importantly, to find out a bit more about this man, whose entire professional career has been in the spotlight, but yet that we know so little about. His story and his journey in football has been through ups and downs. A captain at Crystal Palace, age 22. A captain at Aston Villa and Middlesbrough, finals won. And there have been many great medals for captains, but none of them have been able to do what Gareth Southgate is going to do now. That's put his hands round the cup and convert after the words Middlesbrough Football Club and add an extra word. And the word is... Winners! We've got it! And representing his country in four tournaments and earning 57 caps for England and, in the middle of all of it, that penalty. After finishing his career as a player with Borough, he was given the opportunity to manage at the North East Club and spent three years in charge at the Riverside Stadium. By his own admission, his was a ridiculous pathway into management. What did he mean exactly? Listen and you will learn about a man learning from his mistakes. His first spell with the FA came in 2011, when he took on the role of Head of Youth Development, which saw him working with the young hopefuls of English football and had him playing a key part in developing a new philosophy for English teams. Then an opportunity arose, not one he or anyone expected, but one that nevertheless he has taken and made his own. So this is Gareth's story, how he got there to the top of the English game in his words. But it is more. Listening to him will also give you a hint why I think he has become a crucial turning point in the recent history of the national side. So I've, I've read so much about how loyal you were to your clubs, the three clubs you were in, 18 years, your leadership skills, you were captain of Palace at 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, about your that you're a good guy, that you coach in beliefs which are different to what you normally get in England, but they're becoming more and more popular. 
I don't know much about carrots. I'll get the pears. And <laughs> so is it because you don't get asked or is it because you don't want to talk about that? Good question. I think uh, a bit of both, really. I guess all of us people see the public persona. So I know the players I played with or the players I work with, everybody has the view that they see on the pitch, which is one part of the person. And then, although there's always traits of you as a person within your performances, there's also a more personal and private side to everybody that maybe doesn't express itself. Because to a degree, you're going on stage when you play. Um, And you're taking on... Yeah, the hopes and the dreams of the supporters and the club and everything else. So you're you're, you're stepping onto another level, really. The the most players I know then prefer to be away from the spotlight. And I suppose I've always been conscious that train really hard, work really hard, play hard. But then I'm quite happy to disappear in the background. Mm. Really, I've always liked my own space. So um, I give a lot of energy when I'm working with people. I think it's important to give energy and uh, when I was when I was a young player I wanted to be the first to the training ground the first in all the running the last one up if we were going for a drink then first back again the next day so at some point you've got to re-energise and um, obviously with management as well then that's crucial because you need to have enough energy for the whole staff the, all of the players everything else that surrounds the team so then some people get their energy from being around other people uh, and I know I need time to sort of disappear and just think about things and and re-energise that way. So for me it's nice to be out of the way so that if I'm going into the town nobody bothers where where I live. It's not the middle of London where there's a lot higher profile I suppose. So we are at uh, St George's Football Centre how long is it the drive from here to home? Don't tell me exactly. Yeah, but yeah no, no, no. We're, we're, <laughs> we're uh, about two hours. Two hours, okay. So. But what do you listen to when you do? Uh, a mixture, really. So um, sometimes, um, some, you know, most of the time music um, from right across my 30 years of playing <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's nice that the nice thing about being involved with the dressing room with young players and with my own kids is that you stay current, reasonably current. Okay, what, what, what are you listening now at the moment? Uh, oh, every, uh, honestly, absolutely everything. So, you know, my my son's got Post Malone on and... Uh, Best concert. I've not been for a while because, again, with the change of... I saw Roberto at a concert get filmed dancing in the aisles, <laughs> Roberto Martinez, so I'm Better thinking not. I'm not sure that's a good <laughs> good position for me to be in. So, um, But, I mean, historically, my favourite bands were bands like U2 and um, uh, Bon Jovi, those sorts of bands. But, yeah, I've been in a really diverse dressing room all my life, so you pick up music tastes from everybody, which is quite nice, actually, because I can put any radio station on and... and slip into one part of my life you know mm-hmm. there's moments where you like to be reminded of happy times and draw on memories from games you played or moments of your life but then there's times to push forward okay what are the new releases and and where's music heading so so there's a new viruses and all the lps are disabled they're not lps anymore <laughs> cds no that not even that no, it's like no. it's stream, it's streaming now isn't it <laughs> all the music disappears apart from one album that you can keep everyone of us can keep one album mm-hmm 
So which one would it be for you? Probably you uh, two, Joshua Tree. Um, memories or what? What they sing about? Or? Yeah, I think um, memories of a time in my life. Really, probably a young player growing up at Crystal Palace, part of a team that were all a similar age, young players with it all ahead of us. So in our youth team and in our reserve team there we had people like Chris Powell who went on to play for England, Chris Coleman who obviously has gone on to have a fantastic career so we had players that came in from lower divisions or through the youth system or from non-league um, and the first team then were Ian Wright and Mark Bright, we couldn't get in but we also loads of those guys have gone on to exceptional careers in different fields as well mm-hmm. So the two hours drive and you get home. Once you walk home, what's the first bit of football you see inside the house? Uh, well, the television. <laughs> yes. um, but a companion a, for all a, a, Apart from, uh, I mean, normally I'm now getting home at 10 o'clock at night because usually I'm coming home late from a match or if I've had a full day at St George's, maybe I don't leave here till 7 o'clock at night, something like that. So... Um, but there's no football in our house in terms of memorabilia or anything other than in the office I have. There's there's nothing outside of that. In fact, I'm not sure there's any pictures of me anywhere other than that. There's pictures of all the rest of the family and probably the dogs, but um, because, again, I never wanted my family to be, okay, football's the, the most important thing. It's important for them that I'm just dad, mm-hmm. and um, when I'm at home... Um, And the football is separate, really. Um, in, in the Russian book I wrote with Pochettino, he he told me that house was or home was a harmony. That his wife Karina was absolutely crucial because she created a harmony, and he went there to either re-energize or to disappear as well. Mm-hmm. So he'll be sitting listening, but not being there. Mm-hmm. Do you go through all that as well? Is that where home is for you? Yeah, I, I think um, maybe the older you get. The more, the more I like to be at home because the because actually you spend so much time away, so much time travelling. So the challenges of this job are different to a club where they're in a relentless day after day, week after week, every result, every weekend, midweek. Um, this is slightly different. You know, my role is, um, of course, results with the senior team and all the planning and the preparation that goes into that, um, and then going into watch all the club matches and trying to go to visit players at the clubs but then you've got the work with all the junior teams as well and then you've got the responsibility as an ambassador for English football really which is lots of different uh, commercial things, charity things uh, dinners um, appearances so you're trying to get the balance of all of those things you have a chance to make a difference You know, I know in the role I'm in That's why I have to be careful at times what I say and what I do because I know it carries more weight, not because it's me, but because Uh of the role, because of the title of the role. Um, But the positive is you can make a difference in areas that that can be important for society or can be important for young people especially. Um, So you're trying to balance that across all of the week, really. How does Gareth Southgate that? Oh, is he uh, uh, is he funny or is it just uh, well that would severe, be that or? would be a matter of opinion. My kids would say no, cheesy probably. You know they they'd say uh, I, I guess you um, yeah you just try to be there. You know one of the nice things um, I had a period out of the game 
when I left Middlesbrough as manager where I had the chance to go and see my kids play for their teams in the different sports they were playing and actually to watch them grow up a bit. Now, you know, my daughter's at university and my son's close to his GCSEs, so they're through a lot of their developmental phase. So it's been nice actually having dedicated my whole life to football. I had a little period where there was some flexibility to watch some of their growth, which is important because those years are nearly gone now. And before I know it, they'll, they won't be coming on holiday or they won't be doing the normal things. Um, yeah, they're the most important part of my life. This is Inside Football with Guillem Balaguer and the England manager, Gareth Southgate. Schoolboy at Southampton, and you were told you're not good enough. Mm. How old are you then? Yeah, th 13. So uh, Southampton had um, regional centres, which was quite forward-thinking for the time. They had one in Newcastle, one in Slough, one in Crawley, where I grew up. Um, and they had maybe 16, 20 boys trained um, at the regional centre. If you did well, you went down to Southampton, trained there for a week... Um, so at that time, I'm the same age group as Alan Shearer, but their youth team was really strong then. They had Matt Letizier, Shearer, Benali. Yeah, they had better players than I was, and I was physically quite a late developer as well. Um, so Remember they, the day you were told? Well, I got a letter. All right. Um, I've still got the letter. <laughs> I've still got the letter Where? at home. Um, because um, it was typed, but not personalised. Okay. So, and I guess you are probably, in, again, you're using those things as motivation. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll come back and prove a point. So it didn't um, really kill the the, 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 the dream of, of wanting to be a professional footballer? No, no, not at all. It was just like, okay, not that way, we go another way. Yeah. The ones that eventually make, make it, which is 1% or whatever percentage it is, you already think this is it. So, mm. okay, as you said earlier, if it's not this way, it's that way. So, for instance, you had, what, 100 games in the reserve teams at Palace yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is it still a record? Probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, So you were told a lot of times not this weekend mm. you go with the reserves how, how did you take that? Did mm. you thought so what? Okay I'll train harder Yeah I mean I was in I was playing in the reserves from when I was 17 so it was three seasons really of um, quite difficult because in those days reserve matches were midweek very occasionally on the Saturday if the first team were away you were at home or um, so yeah there, there came a point uh, I mean I always dedicate myself to training and, and okay I've got to keep improving keep improving but there did start to come a point where is this going to happen for me and mm -hmm. am I going to have to leave to to go somewhere else and, and then not so many players went on loan it wasn't a big thing at, at the club I was at um, but also Palace had a fantastic team then they finished third in the top division made the cup final then the following year finished third in the top division so you could understand the manager saying we had a consistent team he probably only used 16 or 17 players that year if that so it wasn't so easy to break in at that mm -hmm. moment but I calculate that two years into getting to the first team you were captain and I'm pretty sure is it two years more or less? yeah two years yeah. and I'm pretty sure at that time I thought yeah I deserve to be captain you know strong enough mentally and I've uh, shown everybody that they can mm. you know, that. but you look back now mm. were you ready? Well I, I don't think in any position of responsibility you're ever 100% ready 
Um, so what's important then when, when you get given the, the opportunity? Well, Not I to doubt. Yeah, I mean, at that time I did have doubts because I had 34, 35-year-olds who I knew would be saying, well, why him? Mm-hmm. And they were probably correct in that I was the captain because the reserve manager had been moved up to the first team and he knew he could trust me and he knew what I could bring. But you've still got to convince then the 34, 35-year-olds to follow you. Um, so then it was more about example Um, I, I was always vocal, but it had to be about, okay, I've got to be leading everything. I've got to be in first, challenges, tackles, making sure that nobody could ever question my commitment to training or anything else. Actually, you've got a point, a point to prove all of a sudden. So instead of just enjoying mm-hmm. your football at 22, you have to just be... I remember talking to Lalana and he was saying he didn't enjoy that at all when he was given the opportunity to Southampton of being a captain because he mm-hmm. had to do a lot of things that perhaps weren't good for his game. Yep. You went through a little bit of that as well. Yeah, I think at different times in my career, um, certainly at, at Villa as well and at Middlesbrough, you, you end up having more responsibility. If you're the captain, you when you lose, you've got to be the one that faces the, the media. You've got to stand up for everything. So there's no doubt there are times, I think for any captain, where it detracts a little bit from your personal performance because... You've got to give of yourself for the club, for your teammates, for everything, really. And Is that why you're sharing the responsibilities now with the national team so they don't have to bear that? I think there's there's partly that because I think it's important that that responsibility is shared. I think I've, I've experienced it myself but also seen it with England where too much falls on a few players and other players are able to slide under the radar without actually having to face the music if we lose or if things don't go so well. Um, and also, to win matches, different people have to step up at different times and take responsibility. It might be a defender, it might be a fullback. It doesn't always have to be the creative midfielder or the, the centre-forward. So trying to give people some experience of leadership, trying to share the responsibility. Um, but also, I'm aware that, I've said before, when... Wayne, as captain of England, shouldered huge responsibility in everything, and I didn't. I didn't think that was fair. Um, you become so serious, all of you, when you talk about England. So so serious. <laughs> It's a game. It's a game. It should be a game first and foremost. But I guess the responsibility sometimes is is heavy on on your shoulders, and even your faces change. <laughs> But uh, so you um, you must have had a day in football that you look bad at and it doesn't necessarily have to be a win a moment that comes back to your mind where perhaps you had to become a problem or something what's the the situation the moment in your career as a footballer that you go back to I, th- I think goodness me you have you have so many that you link to different different attributes that you had to go through I mean relegations as a player with the under 21s And with some of the senior team, I, I showed them, you know, two pages really of my career. One with the things I won, which wasn't as many as I wanted to win, wasn't the number of successes I wanted, because um, I was trying to explain what motivates me now. And then the other page was all the things that have gone wrong and the, the times you were dropped. And so you go to four major tournaments, but actually played every minute of the first one. But that ends up with a penalty shootout defeat. Went to France, started in '98, but then I got injured during the tournament. 
and the last two tournaments hardly kicked a ball. So on your CV it says you've been to four major tournaments, but the realities of what that looked like is very different. So I, as a player and of course as a coach, but if I'm talking about my playing, you're constantly challenged and having to prove yourself every time you walk across the line because there could be a setback to come. There's there's loads of brilliant days and lots of good moments. Um, it's a fight, isn't it, between you want to be comfortable. That's what you aim for. That's your dream as a person, but as a mm-hmm. footballer. But you push to be uncomfortable constantly. Mm-hmm. So does that at some point make you dislike the challenge or dislike the game a little bit or as a footballer no uh, uh, um, for me no uh, I think you, you're aware that the professional game is different to the game you started playing as a kid when it was just for enjoyment and the closer you can get to that feeling the better so I, I think there's a period in the middle of your career where you lose that at the start you've the innocence at the end you recognize what you're about to lose mm-hmm. so, and you know most of what you need to know you've been through most of the playing experiences so you, you understand the game your legs can't take you as quickly but so you hate your body at that point <laughs> yeah but your body's there in the right position because your brain's working more quickly mm-hmm. but i think in the middle is the danger bit where you're aware of the consequences of failure and that's the risky part for your enjoyment i think either either side the bookends are lovely because you really embrace everything about it and recognize how fortunate you are and just enjoy it for what it is so that's what i'm always trying to embed into the players that um i want them to be as good as they might be and sometimes we inhibit ourselves because we put barriers on ourselves or coaches put barriers on players as to what's possible or fear I've got the impression in this country fear is such a huge factor in kids Mm -hmm. but also in professionals they're scared of making mistakes Yeah, and football is a matter of society so you see it everywhere where you look Mm. have you tried well did you go through that did you you have Mm. to battle your own fears as a player yeah definitely and I think that's partly football upbringing so what's nice when I watch kids football now is that because most kids football is run by dads parents they run the team so now they watch a lot more European and world football and they've seen different styles of play and um, there's more uh, acceptance of trying to play from the back and giving the ball away and um, so everybody's football education has been enhanced by watching European football over the last few years and of course when I was starting it was get it out of there and get it forward and don't don't give it away and don't do this and don't do that and then as a young player if we lost we were killed because for making mistakes and we're locked in the dressing room for hours and so naturally the brain works in a certain way I think but also how you learn to win is is many different things there's a lot of tactical things that we didn't learn or managing the game that we didn't learn um, whereas there was a lot of emotion around not making mistakes that cost your team and so I, I think I, I I think I'm sure generations of footballers grew up in this country absolutely what you say um, was there the joy of the game anymore because it was just 
play and, and win and we weren't thinking about the processes of improving and practicing and um, tactical, more tactical awareness, more technical ability, which when I look at our academies now, the technical level of the players and their tactical understanding because of the different coaches they've been exposed to is a way higher level than, than we were ever at. You're listening to Inside Football with Guillem Balaguer. With Gareth Southgate, England manager. Still to come, Gareth Southgate talks about missing that penalty in Euro 96 and how he intends to make amends with England. And now some of the less regular penalty takers have got to stand up and be counted. And I number amongst that list, Gareth Southgate. And Kukka Saban! And Germany are so close now... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. If you had not missed that penalty, would you be here? Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that has determined the career path I was going to take um, but in terms of the resilience and the what I've had to develop as a person then I, I, I might not have survived as a manager and survived my career without going through all of that so there's elements of it that have definitely given me the strength to, to take other challenges on What was it like when you when you finally having got everybody's hawk and don't worry, you'll be all right, <laughs> thing. When you were on your own, do you mm. remember? The immediate thing was the teammates that you're letting down. So, of course, outside of that is is the, the supporters and the country. And, of course, it was a unique tournament because we're at home. So the emotion of it all was so much higher and the enthusiasm for the tournament and the excitement for the tournament was bigger than anything, really, you know, 1990, because the semi-final of a World Cup, similar, 66, 
before my lifetime. So in modern terms, the, the, the biggest. And of course, as a team, we'd, we hadn't played well in every game, but we'd had some really good performances. You should have lost against us. We should have lost to Spain, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, people like Stuart Pearce at the time, although he actually came out of retirement, but he announces he's retiring. And I'm thinking, I mean, these guys, this is the last chance they had of winning something. Now, as a coach, I would always be looking at the collective and... You know, we didn't lose just because of one thing. We there were chances we could have taken. There was this still believe that though. But as a player, no chance that you think all of that. The players, England, the fans, you still hold them. Well, you you have to live with that responsibility for your whole life. So, so you could uh, repay that somehow. Yeah, I, I guess the the perfect scenario is that that's what happens, um, and of course that is additional motivation for me because. Um, having lived through what I've lived through and you know let's be frank walking in my shoes has been difficult for long periods and has meant you know abuse from people as well as anything else but those things just galvanize you to to show people that okay you've got to go on in life and you've got to go on to the next challenge and what's possible so um, yeah and I also know that not everything works out like a fairy tale that there's a there's a wonderful ending so um I'm worldly wise enough to know that's the case um but I'm massively patriotic and hugely proud of my country so the chance to represent my country as a player and then to manage my country into a world cup is is something that's very very special I was asked about the retirement the date or the days before how the decision was made because it tells you a lot about the person uh, mm -hmm. and if you were prepared for it mm -hmm. so do you remember the first day you didn't have to go to training well for me it was unique because we played Euro UEFA Cup final with Middlesbrough Steve McLaren then became the England manager so I went on holiday I had a conversation with the chairman because I knew I was, I had one more year left on my playing contract and I said, look, I'm starting to think about doing some coaching. If the manager who comes in wants me to do some coaching or I can start to get involved in coaching, I was working, I was I'm pretty much finished my UA for B at that point. Um, if I can have an input and I can help and start to go in that direction, that would be great. Then as the summer progressed, I don't think the chairman could get the people he really wanted. <laughs> so I know. Do Terry, you remember who they were? Well, I know Terry Venables was one, yes. and Martin O'Neill was another. I don't know what reasons they were. Maybe they read that we weren't going to have the money to spend. <laughs> But um, so then I'm on holiday in America, and I get a call from the chairman to say, "Look, um, I'd like you to think about taking the job." Of course, that that then was a, a, a something huge to consider because. I wasn't really prepared. We said earlier about being prepared for leadership positions. When I look back now, it's a ridiculous pathway to go to, to finish playing one day and to be the manager without having taken youth team. Or So when I'm talking to guys that are finishing like Steven Gerrard and Scott Parker and people, Frank Lampard, you know, don't follow the path <laughs> I went because you, you could disappear forever doing that. What was your, your biggest mistake at that point um, that you learned from? Well, you're just learning from every situation you're in. Everything is new. Mm -hmm. So planning a pre-season, you know, do you really know how you want to play? I'm with a group of players that I was their teammate a month, a month before. Um, I've got to manage a group of staff, which was a dynamic I'd never really thought about. I just thought that oh, the staff will 
you know, they're older people, so they they get on with things. It's more complex than the players mm-hmm. very often. Every meeting I was in, every game I was involved in was a huge learning experience. And so that's stressful because you've not got any evidence of what works. So you have ideas in your mind that you think will work, but you don't have evidence of the results to back that up. And I, I didn't have a clear picture, not really clear picture of how I wanted the team to play. All of those things, really, I was having to get by on man management of people, which generally I got right, which was why we finished 12th and 13th in the league. But when I look now at what I knew then compared to five years on and then 10 years on, it's you know, incredible, really. It sounds like uh, when you got the sack at Middlesbrough, it was almost... Uh, not something you were looking forward to because nobody looks forward to that but mm. it was an opportunity another yet another opportunity you could learn all those things that that you did not have to be a manager you wanted to be but mm. because you had been in this running machine as a kid and then mm. grown up uh, uh, and then you became a manager without having time to think about it that running machine stopped all of a sudden yeah. so okay sacking is fine because now I've gone learn but all of a sudden you were not wanted by anybody mm-hmm. yeah is that how it felt well initially I applied for, I think there were a couple of championship jobs at the time, because when I went, we were one point off the top of the championship. So Steve Gibson was really loyal the year we were relegated, stayed with it, but then made his decision and you respect his decision. Um, So my immediate thought was, okay, get another job as quickly as possible. And the best thing that happened was that I didn't, Mm -hmm. because then actually I needed... As you say, I'd had by then 23, 24 years on the treadmill of football. Oh, you need really? And I needed to go and go skiing and run a marathon and do things I was never able to do when I was playing and spend time with my family. And for a period then, I did some work with the media, but also was thinking, I don't know if I actually, if football is what I want to. Mm-hmm. go back and do and I think any player that finishes it's good to try and do those things that you weren't able to do visit places you you, you couldn't see or um, because you commit a hell of a lot to your career physically and in terms of not sacrifice but choices on how you live your life and, and what you want to do did you buy a motorbike? no I'm not I'm not a speed <laughs> freak <laughs> although skiing was as dangerous as it gets that, that right. but, um, but just to have Christmas at home you know those those things that uh, by the way that soon loses its appeal <laughs> but you know there are, there, are, there are things that um that players don't have the chance to do that I think it's good just you know every Friday night you've been preparing and eating in a certain way and oh, I can't have a drink tonight and I can't do this and I can't go there at this time and dictated around the football calendar so for a couple of years it was nice just to have that freedom then starting to think, okay, well, what am I going to do in my life? And to really be able to reflect on what had happened in the previous three years, especially, okay, well, if I managed again, what do I need to know? What do I need to improve on? What are the areas to go and look at, go and study? Um, And I started to do that, and I got a call from Trevor Brooking, who was not by title, but he was effectively technical director at the FA then. Um, And there was one of our traditional root and branch reviews of English football <laughs> after the 2010 World Cup. Um, and I sat in on a lot of those discussions. And then Trevor offered me a role, kind of shadowing him, really, 
and trying to implement some of those rule changes. So there was the feeling that I was contributing to the future of the game, and and I've always liked working to to give kids opportunity. Um, but also then I was learning every uh, uh, back to learning. You know, I was in all the academy restructure meetings. I was watching the national junior teams. I was a better understanding of how kids learn. Um, so as a coach, I was building a picture of different areas, travelling to Champions League games to do technical reports, so studying the highest level matches technically and tactically. And um, and of course, the more you travel away from the island, as, a, as we are, then you're embracing different ideas, different ways of thinking. Uh, through my international career in European matches, I'd picked up a lot of that working with people like Venables was outstanding what was the last thing you learned because um, you all say you keep learning yeah, yeah. and everything every yeah. day there's something what was the yeah. last thing you learned you know some of the conversations we're having now are around cognitive learning how the brain is working how do we get messages into the into the young player so their way of communicating is is slightly different you know we're, we're addicted to our phones okay as parents we're always critical of that but actually, that's how kids are receiving their messages. So how do we feed information to our young players in a way that they want to embrace, they're hungry for, they'll, they'll, they'll learn from? This is Inside Football with Guillem Balaguer and Gareth Southgate. Next up, we hear how Gareth has tried to change the mentality of the England team and what his hopes are for the World Cup in Russia. How do you get the passion from the players that they had when they were seven, eight, or nine? Yeah. And when you go to see the seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, when you go to see them, are they still the same kind of kids that you were when you were? And, you, and they are. Yeah. They, 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 they love football the same way. They all follow the ball, and they all love it, and they, yeah. all be, they don't want it to finish, that kind of thing. But at some point, perhaps earlier than it used to be, that passion kind of disappears. How do you rekindle that? And secondly, how do you communicate with people that don't talk like us? Yeah, yeah. Those are the two challenges you're finding. You did find perhaps more clearly and as an under-21 manager. Yeah, uh, but I think um, yeah, there's understanding how youngsters communicate now. But also, actually, we, we had uh, an experience last year with the senior team. We took them to the Marines camp for a few days. And one of the things was that we t they had to give their phones in, that they weren't going to work there anyway, really. Um, but what was clear was actually the guys quite liked it because there was less pressure to immediately respond to messages from friends or social media and and there was a chance actually to just sit I mean they had, we camped out one night so a lot of the guys had never camped but there's a fire people are talking oh literally so they so, you stayed spend the night yeah in, yeah in so we were out outside and but the guys just enjoyed talking learning more about each other mm -hmm. um, so Actually, we're all, you know, I'm the same. I'm different generation, but I'm continually referring to my phone because the ping goes and there's an email mm -hmm. or there's a text or there's a... And actually, you know, to have the discipline of actually putting that to one side, especially if I'm at home, because to be present and, and engage with the people you're with, if you're having a meal or something like that, I think it's really, really important. So They knew they were getting the phone back. The next day yeah, yeah no of course <laughs> they knew it was a temporary uh, situation but I think also they recognized oh actually when we're having lunch together 
with the team. Maybe we'll put our phones in a box before we go in the room. I don't want to have loads of rules as a coach. Um, but I think the players thought it was quite nice to chat. And if I'm a young player coming in, how do, I, how do we make that young player feel welcome? And if we're all looking at our phones and not, not engaging with him, well, then how do we find out more about him? And So they have all the qualities. And sometimes we should go with technology and embrace for certain. But also I think sometimes it's good to remind and put some things that we believe to be the right way to do things and to try and, I don't say educate, but encourage people to say, actually, have you thought about we don't have our phones at dinner time because this reason not because I want to put a rule in that says there's no phones but what's the benefit of us talking as a team maybe about the game or about life you know about each other because I remember sitting around with some of the European players we had at Middlesbrough Bolo Zenden and Mendy and Janino and people like that and that's where you learn about the game you know those informal conversations Mm -hmm. you you, you just learned football history you learned about big matches you learned about tactical things coaches they'd worked with and without you know if we had our phones then all of those opportunities would have been lost actually those are messages that Conte Pep Guardiola Pochettino are trying to uh, develop into the minds of their players so would you say that the players now have got more layers they better prepare for life or, or less prepare for life and then you have to insist on those messages yeah difficult because I think in some aspects, they are way more developed. You know, the information that is available to them because of the internet, for mm. example. So, God, if you're a player and you have an injury now, uh, I'd hate to be the physio because you can look everything <laughs> up. But why are we not doing this, 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 and this? Because they can look up diet, nutrition, fitness. There's everything online that you could want, history, whatever you want. So, brilliant opportunities to learn and develop as a person. Um, equally, now the academy system and being integrated into a club from maybe nine, ten years old, does that expose players to other sports, other walks of life, the realities of the world out there? I, I think they're aware of the realities of the world because a lot of our guys have really tough upbringings and come from difficult backgrounds. So it's not that they're naive to all of those things, but still in a bubble yeah we create a bubble for, with good intentions mm-hmm. to try and protect them and to give them the best chance and to give them the best of everything that we think is the right thing to help them develop but in the end they still have to have resilience and a breadth to, to be good human beings and to understand the world to really fulfil their chances as, as people really So you said uh, that when you uh, were sacked you did not know if you wanted to stay in football mm. so in a parallel world you don't stay in football mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you were prepared for anything else because football is all you knew but what's in that parallel world what's Gareth Southgate like what mm. does he do there would have been something uh, I mean I've, I've for quite a while had an um, association with the Prince's Trust mm-hmm. why because uh, funny enough Steve Gibson was one of the first people he supported that. Um, and what I've recognised is that young people need others to believe in them and whatever you're, whatever route you're coming from. So why did I take the under-21 role? Well, my passion for football and because I felt 
it was a brilliant opportunity to highlight what young players could do, what young English players were capable of. Um, but also that inherent passion I've got for young people because we all needed somebody to believe in us somewhere along the way. And in our country, huge challenges in football for opportunity for young players, young coaches, but also in society. You know, we're we're fighting a little bit with what our identity is as a country. Are we are we in Europe? Are we out of Europe? Are we? <laughs> My kids are, you know, this a bit of a generational thing on Brexit where young people I speak to are kind of what are we doing? You know, we're <laughs> we're European. We want to travel the world. We might go to America. And the older generation are kind of, well, but in the past it was this and we, they're pining for something that isn't there anymore. And within all of that confusion, people are trying to work their way through it. So what does that mean for us as a football team as well? Because our football team is really diverse, which is a massive strength, powerful strength for us. But also this team is really tight. This is the first team that I can remember where lots of the players played not just at under-21s together but maybe at under-17s, under-19s so coming together is a little bit like I noticed when foreign players I played with that went back to play for their country it was like, oh we're going home and it's fun mm-hmm. you talked about mm-hmm. it being fun and that's what we've got to try and create that the players want to come because it's enjoyable then if we can tactically prepare them and, and allow them to express their technical ability, well, we might have a chance of winning some games because they'll be mentally in a good place. You know, People ask me what would be a successful World Cup and I'm always saying, well, if the, if the country are proud when we come back, that will mean we've played some good football. We'll have won some games because they won't be proud if we haven't. Um, and then how powerful will that be if we've got a team that's diverse and is showing modern skills. You know, our players are technically different you're a, to you're the way a, they you're used romantic. to be. <laughs> They'll go and say, you've gone this far, and if you haven't, you're good. Sorry, you're not good, Emily. Because at the end, that's very good for the inside world that you're creating. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to say, look, we did our best, and and you've, you've, you've given me what I asked you for, and look at you, 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 you proudly showed what you made of. Mm-hmm. But you are, in, you are in a job in which more than any other job, many other managerial job, really, you will be judged after the game. I don't know why people yeah. are just waiting for the result to judge. Mm-hmm. Because if they do that, why do they watch the games? Yeah. You know, we'll just text them the, the result and say, the result is 3-0. Now you can't judge me. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to actually convince everybody that there is something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think as a team and as coaches and as players, you've got to focus on what can you effect and that's what you do every day and that's the way that you play and that's the way that you prepare and the result is an outcome of all of those things plus the opposition trying to stop you plus the random events that can happen within football so if it's just which was most of my playing life I win on Saturday I'm good I lose on Saturday I'm bad well then uh, as a coach and as a team we're going to have a problem uh, of course in the end I know we'll be judged on winning and losing um, but that's not the way I can live my life in terms of preparing the team to perform at their very best because I've got to try and strip back what do we need to be 
to be the best team we might possibly be and to allow the players to be as good as they might be. I've always said John Stones is a classic example of this when we had him with the under-21s. If you want to be um, like I was, then carry on and people will tell you, kick it out of play and get rid of it because don't make mistakes. But if you want to be on another, another level, which is quite possible with the skills he has... Um, and for others within our team who have some outstanding talent, then maybe you might have to ignore some of those people and be brave enough to try things and accept that they're not always going to go right, but you might become a world-class player, which I was nowhere near, um, and I think that's that's what we've got to embed in this in this group of players. Because you're still swimming against the tide, but I think more and more people understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think so. as a football country... I go back to that, Guillaume, you're working here now, presenting a programme that would, you know, as a Spanish journalist coming here 15, 20 years ago, would never have happened. Absolutely. So um, we're all looking at Klopp and Pep and Conte and Jose and Pochettino. And so the influences on our game has changed enormously and that's for the better. That, that can be for the benefit of our game. The challenge for our young players is okay it's harder to get a game because we can attract players from all around the world so you've got to be one of the best players in the world to make that uh, break but let's embrace don't let's sit here and complain about it don't let's sit as an English coach and say I've not got a chance I've got to be as good as I can be and keep learning and improving to get those opportunities you will be seen as the manager that has gone through that transition I hope you win something too as well thank you very much for your time pleasure Gareth Southgate is not a name that sends shivers down your spine or makes you stand or turns your head. When you hear him talking, I'm sure you don't stop doing what you are doing. He's an understated football personality. But while you prefer to ignore what he's saying, he's playing with a laser precision what he wants. What he lacks in flamboyance, he clearly makes up for in emotional intelligence, respect for the process and desire to take English football into a new journey. He might not be like the other managers that came before him, but that should not be a problem. In fact, it could be what England needs. Someone who is trying to appeal to the real important virtues of a national side. Pride is essential, but bravery, intelligence and strong will will count too in Gareth Southgate's New England. The future looks exciting. Let him work quietly to take you to a new place. This was Inside Football with me, Guillermo Lague. Hasta luego. Inside Football, Gareth Southgate with Guillaume Balaguer on Talk Sport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 